electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. New numbers from OpenAI revealing exponential growth. The darling of generative AI continues to fire on all cylinders, but can it become more than a chatbot and live up to its now giant expectations? It's Friday, October 13th, and welcome to the Tech Check Podcast. I'm Deirdre Boza. And I'm Mark Gilbert, the executive producer of Tech Check. Welcome, Mark. We Thank are doing you. something exciting today. We have relaunched this podcast as an original. So that means that every day, Mark, you and I, we're going to be doing a deeper dive into the biggest, most interesting tech story of the day. I'm excited to do this with you, Deirdre. Um, you can expect 10 to 15 minutes, more context, more discussion. It'll post about noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern every weekday. Let's get into it. Today, a subject we promised to cover a lot, AI, specifically open AI, the company revealing some new numbers. So the information, this is the latest, reporting that OpenAI is now generating revenue at a pace of $1.3 billion a year. That is just a huge amount, not on its own, but when you put it into context, up 30% from three months ago, Mark, it was revealed at an internal meeting at the company. Okay, 30%, fine. That doesn't even make you that big, actually. But when you compare it against last year's growth, it's just staggering. Last year, it was $28 million in revenue. So if they reach 1.3 billion this year, that's growth year over year of more than 4,500%. And in a way, Mark, that makes it a little more than NVIDIA than Microsoft. Explain what I mean by that. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this this morning, but the in the sense that NVIDIA is already recording revenue, right? And that that's why the market is, is uh, rewarding NVIDIA with this huge run-up is because NVIDIA is already expecting a huge spike in sales tied to its chips, tied to AI demand, while Microsoft is still sort of hoping to get some, some revenue in the future. Which is kind of ironic because Microsoft owns 49% of open right. AI. And it feels like a lot of this value is accruing. But of course, Microsoft has a lot of other stuff going on. But what it kind of underlines is that investors were still in this sort of show me period. They don't want to be just told about the impact of generative AI. They want to see it and feel it. And that's why OpenAI can potentially raise money or not raise money, do a deal, excuse me, at a $90 billion valuation. Yeah. I mean, the other irony is, right, is that Microsoft is a major investor in OpenAI, but that's not giving them any revenue right now. The, the one who's getting the revenue impact from OpenAI, if you go on and you use a chatbot online, uh, you know, the, the company that's seeing revenue from that right now is NVIDIA, the one who provides the, the GPUs to, to power all of that search. The much sought after H100s. Right. Um, so how does OpenAI make this money? How did it go from 28 million last year to 1.3 billion this year? Um, largely comes from subscriptions to the paid version of ChatGPT. That only launched in February, but it's become a critical tool among developers and businesses like marketing teams to create copy. But something we wonder a lot, and a lot of the folks I speak to here in San Francisco ask, is that broader usefulness. It's still an open question, and that's really key to whether this kind of growth can be sustained. Um, 
what is the end application that we can touch and feel as consumers, right? That's followed other hype cycles. I'm reminded of blockchain and crypto. There was all this promise of the technology behind it, but it needed to give us something that we could use that changed the way we lived. And you could argue that ChatGPT has done that, right? I know that I rely on it a lot, um, but I rely on it as sort of a, more of a fun thing. And, and it can be kind of useful, but I have to be extremely diligent about fact checking. And if this is supposed to be the biggest shift, generative AI, since the internet or since the mobile phone, it's got to be more than just chatbots, right, Gilbert? I just get that feeling. I think that's the biggest question, right? This technology blows you away when you use it. It's it's fun and it's and it's uh, it's sort of uncanny how how good a job it can do sometimes. But how many actual useful applications are being rolled out right now? Not a lot. So uh, you did have Adobe this week, which I thought was interesting. We haven't talked about it yet, but they pointed to uh, a full suite of AI products that are going to be coming and the ability to create complex images and animations, uh, no revenue. We talked about show me no revenue yet, but analysts do see a, a clear roadmap. You know, a week or two ago, Mark, I was um, at this event and I was doing a panel on generative AI and consumer uses. And I asked the question, so far, could you call it a gimmick? And one of the people on the panel, he physically cringed <laughs> because no one wants to hear that this stuff is a gimmick. And I'm not saying that it is, that we'll have real world use cases that already does. But again, just back to this question, is going to be more than a chat bot? Um, and this is a question too, that's reportedly being asked inside of Google. A Bloomberg report this week says that Google product employees, they're debating the effectiveness, the utility, and the huge amount of resources that are going into its chat bot called Bard. And they're doing this on an invitation only group on Discord. Right. And then the story that we talked about on television today in the afternoon, Kelly Evans brought it up. Um, and it was new today that two people used AI to independently uncover the Greek word. I don't know how to pronounce this. Or... Oh, gosh. Did we do this on air? Por porphyrus, <laughs> meaning yeah. purple in ancient uh, in ancient Greek. And um, archaeologists are you know, thrilled at the discovery that AI was able to uh, you know, use a, an algorithm to come up with the word for purple. Not just archaeologists, purple enthusiasts. I will try and pronounce it again. Paparologists. I believe that's it. But this is the story of Kelly Evans. She was she was funny. She was hot on. She emailed us early, early this morning saying, can we fit this in somehow? And I'm torn, Mark, because on one hand, this feels like a really important use case um, to be able to decipher ancient text. That feels right, very code breaking important. or exactly. But again, um, how useful is it? How much can we trust it? One of our viewers raised the question on Twitter, how do you even know that the translation is correct? It can't tell you present day facts with accuracy. And that's not wrong. Every time I use ChatGPT or Bard, right, there's always some it. skepticism in my mind. Yeah. So back to the real world, there's also this report about OpenAI's office space. Yeah. And, you know, because their valuation is climbing and climbing, they've been able to raise so much money. Um, They've obviously had to grow their workforce. And there was a story in the Chronicle today that it's close to signing San Francisco's biggest office lease since 2018. That's five years and a very difficult five years for San Francisco commercial real estate. And we've we've done stories in the past about the promise of AI 
for San Francisco amid this, you know, quote unquote doom loop. And this would be a big deal. Um, I also find another side of this really interesting because it would be a large piece of Uber's headquarters near Oracle Park where the Giants play. And what this, the, the underpinnings of this are interesting. Uber is in a way almost a mature company at this point, whereas OpenAI is the new growth darling. So they're the ones taking up all this space. Also, maybe um, a warning too, right? Because at one point, Uber thought that it could have all of this space and fill it. OpenAI still has to live up to all these giant expectations around it. Right. Be careful how long that, be careful how long that lease is. Um because you know, uh, valuations and investor expectations can turn on a dime. You assume that if they're raising at a ninety billion dollar valuation, then that money is going to give them, um, you know, some runway to expand their physical footprint and hire and invest. Um, lastly, we talked about this, but there's also some reporting about where and who OpenAI is raising money from. Uh, the New York Post saying it could depend on money from the Middle East, sovereign wealth funds, which of course. Uh, has been heavily scrutinized, the amount of VC money coming from the Middle East and could be more so. Yeah, post the attacks in Israel, this is an incredibly important story to watch. A lot of companies have been careful about um, either not raising money from Saudi Arabia or not publicizing that they are funded by sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East. And this is a conversation that affects many more startups, not just open AI, but also many funds, many venture capitalists. And it's going to be a very sensitive, delicate subject for the VC community in the weeks and months ahead. Right. And I thought it was interesting that in 10 days, Saudi Arabia is hosting its future investment initiative. And this is a big international conference that Saudi Arabia hosts to attract capital. Uh, I think it's this is now the, the seventh annual. But remember, it got so much attention five years ago following the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Participants pulled out. There were calls to boycott. Fast forward today, participants are back. Last year, Jamie Dimon was there. David Solomon attended. Steve Schwartzman, Ray Dalio. And it's happening in 10 days from now. So I, I wonder if we see some attention turn back to the source of some of these funds. You brought it up, especially in venture capital. And the reason they're looking to venture capital, right? This is part of a years-long trend to diversify away from from oil. They've been looking at these returns. So um, we'll continue to track it. Last thing, Mark, as we finish off our inaugural podcast with you at the front of it. Um, watch our weekly. It's going to publish later today. We're talking about the Timu effect and whether it can really be the Amazon killer. So catch that every Friday as well. And we'll be right back here with you on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Yeah. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.